they looked forward to God's coming kingdom. And that is the message of the book of Haggai. Hey again. I'm Tom Bernardo, and it's a privilege that I'm getting to help out this summer some while things are transitioning around here, and I'm just really, really glad to be with you. Um, as you get to know somebody, you learn things about them that you learn only what they present to you, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you just an ugly truth about the Bernardos, and there's a lot of them. I ask my wife. There's very proud people and things like that, but um, we also are bearers of something all the Bernardo curse. Now, the Bernardo curse has, has lasted for generations, and it goes through the males of the family. And the Bernardo curse is, is, you could summarize it simply this way. It is the ability to take common household projects and turn them into major industrial accidents. <laughs> now, I will tell you that for years, my wife said, I just was using this as an excuse to get out of work. I would say, no, you don't understand. If I try to do it, if I try to fix it, it will take longer, it'll cost more, and it'll be a worse problem than when it started. She goes, you're just trying. And I think among, I could tell you stories all day, but I'm just going to tell you one that I think was the one that kind of finally convinced her. We were given a gift, and it was a garage door opener. We had no garage door opener, and so I, we were given it, and we didn't, ha- we didn't have a lot of money, and we said, you know what, you can save a whole lot of money by installing the garage door opener yourself, not having somebody else do that. Uh, <laughs> that's just the red flags, you know, I mean, the lights are going off, that should not happen. But no, no, it's going to save us a whole lot of money, so we should do this. I'm told it's going to take an hour, hour and a half, two hours max. I start putting this in. Fourteen hours later, I'm in this garage, I have got... Pipes are clanging and chains are dangling and I got holes places where they shouldn't be and no holes where they should be and it's just not right and it goes on and I'm dropping hardware and can't find it. I have to go buy more. I mean, it's just going on and on. I could tell you more about that story. But then once I get it all in place, we have the electricity turned off, which I had learned the hard way another time. (laughs) That's not, you need to have that. You put this all together, and there's this whole set of con- connectors you have to do, and you tie it into the house's electric, and we're all set. And we go, and we're excited to turn it on and get the thing going, and we flip the switch to turn on the electricity, and a sound that I don't think I'd ever heard before in my life, it was one of these really low bass-like th- rumble <laughs> happens. And the lights go off in half the neighborhood. <laughs> a sound comes out of this transformer that's up by, down the block from our house. And everybody, and neighbors are coming out and they're going, what happened? What happened? I don't know. They call the electrician. The electrician, go, I'm going to make this quicker. The electrician goes up, he comes down, he goes, doggone, I've never seen anything like this. I don't understand how that could happen. Anybody got any ideas? I go, I have no idea. Something. I learned that day about a couple concepts, the concept of electric arc and reverse polarity. And to this day, they don't know how somebody on a user end could do something that could never again be replicated and turn off the power in half the neighborhood. And I know the answer. From that day, my wife said, you're not touching anything else. And, And honestly, this is the truth. Neighbors around us, they knew If you see Bernardo with a tool, we go immediately to DEFCON 4. (laughs) 
you get him out of there, danger is ahead. The, the problems happen if you reverse the connections from the way they're supposed to be. Okay, that's the theme of the book of Haggai. Let's pray. <laughs> now, here's what I want you to see. And if you have the, a Bible with you, I invite you to look at the book of Haggai. It's a short two chapters, third from the last book of the Old Testament. This is part of a series. Uh, as you, if you've been around here, if you're new, this is, this, the church is going through the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, Route 66, taking snapshots of all the Bible and to see something that's very fascinating from some of us who are intimidated about the Bible and don't understand a lot of it. But the, but the fact comes out that the Bible is actually simply one story. It is one story from beginning to end. I have suggested to you a one way to kind of give a theme to that is to say it this way. It is the making and redeeming of God's kingdom. That God, our maker and creator, decided to share his glory to benefit others. And so the whole of human creation is a result of a being who is a good being, who loves us, who says, I'm going to establish a kingdom in which people can flourish and be blessed and benefit from the fact of who I am. So God set out to make a kingdom. And I showed you this, a little graphic last week, just as a kind of a tool to kind of see how every part of the Old Testament, but even into the New Testament, is a component part that falls somewhere in the spectrum of, God, of this one big story. God is going to make and then redeem his kingdom. So he created a realm, the heavens and the earth, in which that kingdom would exist. And then once we ruptured it and screwed it up, he immediately put into place a plan to redeem it and to bring it back to his original picture of what he intended us to be, how we would benefit from it. Everything is part of that plan. In that plan, he established a line, his people who he would chose, through which he would deliver the remedy. In that line, he gave them a land in which to be the center of operations from which he would redeem. Then he put a system in place. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture that talked about how the blood sacrifice of an innocent paying the price for a, a guilty party would be culminated in the rescue plan he, of, of him coming to earth to save us. And then, then he works on the receptivity of the people to say, you need to be ready to receive this. You need to be brought. That's what the exile of, of the people of Israel is all about. Get your hearts ready to re- welcome this and to receive it. And then finally to present the Redeemer, the one who would pay the price, the King, God the Son, Jesus Christ, come to earth. That is just a way to kind of get an overview. Everything, I would suggest to you that everything you read in the, in the Old Testament is, falls somewhere in that spectrum, somewhere in that grand story that God has for us. When we get to the book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai comes, like you heard, it's 520 B.C. It's toward the end of this Babylonian captivity. And God, the early returnees are coming back to the land that God has established and it tried to establish the system again. But God is saying, I want you to be receptive. I want, I, something's got to happen inside you to be ready for your king to come and to establish. And when he does, God is going to say something, through a series of things through the book of, through the prophet Haggai. To say to his people, in order to get things right the way that I intend them to be, we need to do some reversing of polarity. Because your hearts and your kingdom and your life has switched it. You've, you've flipped it. And we're going to flip it back. So you'll see a series of things that happen. And again, there's, these are just snapshots we're going to get from, from these books. But I want to suggest to you a, 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 a few th- areas where God says to his people through the prophet, let's flip the polarity on this thing. Let's get it right the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to address this and help you understand how you do that. 
So you get to Haggai 1, and like you saw in the video, God has called his people to go back and to reestablish the, the land and the, and the system. But he encounters, they encounter something. They've been at, there for a while. And Haggai, it says, this is verse 1 of chapter 1, in the second year of King Darius, first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, as he often did. This is how God's going to communicate his message through these chosen vessels. And in verse 2 it says, Say to the people, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house. Or these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin? And the first thing we're going to see here is that there is a flip, that's good, a, a change of polarity that God's going to introduce to his people. And hang on tight because every, for every one of these, we're not here to just teach Bible lessons, right? You may come, that's fine. But if I've not done my job, if you walk out of here and you think you know the Bible a little better without it saying, wait, this has something to do with me. And this reverse polarity is going to be something that needs to flip. And the, and the example he's given is the temple and homes. But, it, but here's the kingdom principle. And it's a very simple one. You're going to go, yeah, I know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't need you to tell me this. But perhaps we need to linger just a little longer. The, the, the flipped polarity is this. God first. Self follows. That's not rocket science. God first. Self follows. These are people who thought they were doing God's will by going back to the land, and now they're establishing their homes. But something had happened. God had said, no, the way the kingdom is designed to work is different from your, what your instincts are and your, and your own flesh is telling you to do. Fallen people who are selfish by nature focus on themselves. They think about their own needs. They think about what they want and the desires of their hearts. And God says, the way this, the original intent of this, the way the restored kingdom is going to function is very simple. There is a rightful king. And always for the subjects, the, the, the priority will be God first, self follows. It's a flip of priorities. Now this harkens to a principle of the scripture that we call stewardship sometimes. That's very, very simple. But most of us don't live, frankly. And that is this. If a person wants to be restored with God, God is more than willing and ready to do it. He says life will be better. Some of you are on a journey of figuring out who's in charge of your life. What would it look like if I actually asked God to become part of my life or maybe even the leader of my life? What would it, what is, and some of us who have known him for a long time, that's the same question. What does that look like for me? How do I go about doing that? Well, the, the, the God-bought life looks like this. We are dead in our sins, and he says, I am ready to purchase your, you from slavery. He sacrifices his son. So he gives us a free gift and says, you are set free, but now I've bought you. And your life is not your own. You belong to me. It's a good life. You're in part of my family. You're my child. But understand, your life belongs to me. He is, I'm the owner of your life. So God made me, but now he has bought me. And I exist for one purpose above all. I exist for his glory. You know, they always joke about, what's the, oh, discover the meaning of life, the meaning of life. The meaning of life has been told us very clearly. We just don't want to hear it. We want something else. No, you exist. You're vi- the re- reason you're drawing breath at this very moment is for one primary purpose. It is to bring glory to the one who made you. That's it. 
you bring glory in how you reflect his character back to him and how you follow him, how you live out the plan he has for us. I exist for his glory. And when I put my energies into saying priority one in my life is to glorify the one who made me, to advance his kingdom, then God says, you do that, and I'll cover the rest. I'll cover your needs. I'll, cover, I'll bless you. It'll be better for you, but just don't try to take that responsibility to do that for yourself. You've heard the phrase that a company is a wholly owned subsidiary of another, right? You've heard that. So there's a company that might exist under a different name. It may have a div- even a different kind of um, product that it creates than the parent company. But if it is a wholly owned ex- uh, subsidiary, it is understood that the whole purpose of that company is to enhance the one that owns it. That's what he did to me. God bought all rights all privileges of Tom Bernardo's life. I'm glad for having to do it because I was dead otherwise. And what he wants to do with our lives is he wants to buy us back and make us free children who are part of his kingdom. But, it, but the way that works is I am now a wholly owned subsidiary. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Look, I'm alive. I was killed with him on the cross, but I'm alive. Y- yeah, but not I. But Christ lives in me, and and the life I now live in the flesh, this existence, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I belong to him, and that means that the call on my life is that my first and best goes to God. The first and best of my focus, the first and best of my energies, of my resources, of my time. He, my life orbits around its rightful king. That's the way my life is supposed to function. That's the best way. That was the original design for my life and for yours. And, but that stands in contrast, doesn't it, to how most of the world lives and, frankly, most of us most of the time and how the people of Israel were functioning. Oh, they knew God. They believed in him. They were trusting his kingdom was going to come. But they'd fallen into this flip that had happened where basically they'd established their lives, their needs, their desires as the centerpiece, at the center of their universe, and pretty much everything else was orbiting around that. They were willing to, to share with part of what God was doing, but it kind of got relegated to the surplus. If I got left over, I'll give that to him. If there's a little less, if I've got more energy after my house is done, well, sure, we'll get to work on the temple. We'll get there. No, no, it's important to me, but it becomes a token kind of thing. It becomes a marginal kind of thing. Look at, look at verse um, 7 and 8 of chapter 1. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring back down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in you and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, which each of you is bu- while each of you is busy with his own house. So I'm just going to quickly move from there, but except to say, let's, let's, turn the, let's turn the light on how this, how does this apply to you and me? And it does. Because I'm going to guess that most of us in the room have crossed the line of faith and we have said, my life now belongs to God. And again, if you're not there, keep checking, keep thinking, keep asking questions. But understand, when you cross that line, the one God made for you, the one that's going to benefit for you for all eternity, when we have done that, we enter into a, an a- agreement with God that 
that he, it is his kingdom and his way first and mine comes second. God's, God's glory and his worship and his causes and it, his advance need to be the center of our universe. It's, it, when, when, when Haggai was talking about the temple, it wasn't just the construction of a building. He was talking about something that was a centerpiece of their life, the worship of God, where, the, where we take our rightful place before him and we say regularly and consistently, I, you are the one who gives me life. You're the one I draw my whole existence from. I exist for you. I'm here to present myself to recognize that and to lift your name up. So what's that look like in real life? See, in real life, he said, go out and get timber. Don't just, there's a difference between, by the way, between sentiment and substance. There's a lot of sentiment about God. A lot of sentiment about, uh, do you, a lot of people in our culture will say they believe and they, they're followers of Jesus. Well, that's sentiment. But what, what does it look like in our real lives? For these people, look at their houses and look at the temple. That's why you saw the substance. God says, turn this into substance. That's where it re- really it matters. And, and get this. That will not happen in your life and mine unless we're intentional about it, conscious about it. If you and I do what comes naturally, God will always get the leftovers. That's our flesh. That's my, that's, I am a selfish son of a gun. You don't have to coach me to do that. If, I, if it changes, it'll be because something happens where I make a decision and intentionally take action about it. Here's where it can show up for us. Get ready. Okay, I'm just going to bring your, your shoes with the, the, heel, the toes that have got metal, you know, the steel, steel toes. Okay, because I'm going to step on it a little. You know how that shows up for us? It, it shows up with what we establish at the centerpiece. What's, what's appointment scheduling for you? What, what is the thing that everybody, everything else revolves around? You talk about appointment television. There's a show that you go, I, I, I can't go to that because i got to watch that show. You go, no one does that. Yeah, except you and I do, and we don't tell anybody. But we do it with other things, too. Okay, I've been a pastor for 30-some years, right? Can I tell you how it hap- happens? People are going to say, oh, this sounds like legalism. I don't care. I'm just going to, what are you going to do, fire me? You can tell me not to come back. You know what we're doing right here, right now? It's not a rule. It's not a law for God. It is the first act of a submitted life is to worship God and entrench that as a centerpiece in what we do. To say nothing gets in the way of a priority one, and that is to glorify God. We do it in our private lives, but we also do it collectively. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, you should be at church every single Sunday, every time the doors are open, but doggone it, we need to be there more. We just do. And we live in a culture where now things are getting scheduled and trips, and we kind of say, well, I'm going to do that unless something better comes along. Unless it's more convenient to go to this festival that's happening and then come back. Or, or you know when the big one is? Okay, get ready. Our kids' stuff. And now we've got travel groups, and we've got tournaments, and they happen on Sundays. And Oh, what, how terrible would it be if I tell my kid they can't participate because we go to church on that day. You know what? Some of us need to have the guts to say to our children, there is something we don't compromise around here. Now, I'm not saying that occasionally something happens that doesn't turn the path, but, but to say, you're going to learn 
my kids need to know from me, there is one place where he, my, our, my dad, he might be a strong guy, but he bows his knee one place. And nothing gets in the way of that. I need, can I call on the dads in the room? You set the pace for your family this way. To say to your family, you know what? Oh, I, I can criticize how it happens. It's not never going to be perfect, but there's a place I am called and I'm going to be there. I'm going to worship the Lord my God. My kids are going to see that I bow my knee to somebody else. These people were saying, oh, no, the temple's fine. We'll get to it. And, and God says, look, you're sacrificing the best part of being a God follower. Because he blesses those he, who do that. But if you don't, don't be surprised when the crops don't cooperate. You're not asking God to be the center of your life. That's one of the benefits of God being the center of your life. He takes care of you. Yeah, but the best tea times are on Sundays. Oh, but it's not just Sundays. It's career decisions. It's standards of living. Because for a whole lot of us, our standard of living is, has become the centerpiece. It becomes our own temple. I've got a standard that I need to keep, I, but we, in the name of I'm going to provide for my family, I will not sacrifice that kind of thing. Can I just suggest to you, if you have a job opportunity to come up, never let factor one in whether you take to be a job be the money. When you do, you install the money as your Lord. Some of us have our children as our lords. In the name of, we've got to give them everything they need. Some of us have our jobs as our lords. And for some of us, the, the, the parallel for, for Haggai 1 is to say, I'm working on my own home and I'm neglecting the temple. What would tangibly need to happen for me to say, I'm going to... I'm going to dethrone the thing, and I'm going to say, by the way, it always involves sacrifice and self-denial. Always. You're, you're not doing this unless there's sacrifice and self-denial as part of it. That's why it doesn't feel natural to us. But see, that's why the famous verses like Matthew 6, 33, they, they, they have teeth because they, he, Jesus really meant it. He's talking about clothing and the basics and the essential. Well, i got to work. Well, i got to have clothes. Yeah, he says, yeah. But seek first, see the phrase, the kingdom of God. It's the, it's the same theme. The kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing life under his headship. And all this other stuff, watch what he does. All this stuff that we, we entrench as the centerpiece, God will take care of that. I love this. It's a little lesser known, but this is Psalm 37, 25. I was young and now I'm old. But here's something I've never seen. I've seen. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging bread. God calls us to that. Now, this isn't a health and wealth feel-good thing. This isn't like, oh, God, you know, you, 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 it, you give $100 and God's obligated to give you 1000 Oh, he's a good God. He does great things. He says, that's not your reason. It's not cause-effect. You do it because you were made for this. He is the king. Flip the polarity on this thing. God first. Can I ask you to just to think about this. What, what does that look like for you? Not, it's not, ju- not just sentiment. Can I, can I suggest something? Okay, most of your groups are not meeting this summer. Call the people in them anyway. And talk about this. What's this look like for people in your situation? How do I establish God first in my decision making? Can I... If you've got a big decision to make, I would suggest to you that you should never make that decision without consulting God and his people. 
Say, what, what would honor God most? You know why we don't do that more often? Because we don't want to hear what they might say. It might interfere with how I construct my house. Okay, I'll step off the toes. Let's go to, let's go to another one. So we can flip our priorities. God first, self follows. I want, I want you to know something else about Haggai, what God says to the prophet. And this is a flip of our focus. And it's a focus between, uh, between external compliance and internal impurity. Do you look in chapter 2? So they start building the temple, and then, you know, it doesn't go so well. And, 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 and God says some things about that. But look at chapter 2, verse 10. On 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Let, let, let's, let's, let me go somewhere else. Let, look at chapter 1, verse 5. Now, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. And now I got a phrase. In my translation, it says, give careful thought. Some of yours might say, uh, consider your ways or look what's happening to you. Um, give careful thought to your ways. Now, I want you to look down at verse 7. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Same phrase. Now, flip to chapter 2, verse 15. For God says this in this, another vision. Now, Give careful thought to this from this day on. And look at verse 18. He says, from this day on, from, the, from uh, this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. And then he says it again. See it? Give careful thought. That phrase gets used five times in two chapters. It's significant. Let me tell you what that phrase means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it... That's why it gets translated very differently. It is, it is talk, it, you could say it this way. Stop and think about your heart's motives right now. Do some introspection and self-evaluation. God calls his people. Now they're building the temple. And he goes, hang on, hang on. Before you go any further, here's what I want to ask you to do. There's something that's missing. You've got external compliance going on, but there's something else you need to do. Now, now, Jesus used a phrase, and he quoted Isaiah when he used it, when he said, these people worship we with their lips. Do you know what the rest of the phrase is? But their hearts are, what? Anybody know? Far from me. They're worshiping with me with their lips. Their externals are doing the stuff, but there's something that's not true in their hearts. And God is constantly saying to his people, and hear this, First and foremost, God isn't looking for your compliance. He's not even looking for your obedience. Oh, he wants it. He thinks it's smart. He'll call you to it. But there's something he wants more than your obedience, your externals. God wants to penetrate. He wants something in your heart. He, in his kingdom, he wants the receptivity of hearts to be broken in front of him, submissive to him, saying, I want you to reform me. I'm going to look hard at my own life. There's a kid who's standing up in the back seat of the minivan, and, the, and the, the mom and dad are in the front seat, and, and he's got a seatbelt off. And they, he keeps standing up. They say, put your seatbelt on. He sits down. He, he puts off. A couple minutes later, he's standing up. He's, he's looking out the windows. I can't see out. He wants, he's kind of coming up, crowding him in the front. They said, you can't do that. You've got to sit down, sit down, sit down. They keep telling him to sit down. And finally, he, they look back, and he's sitting down. He's quiet. He's sitting there. And they commended him. They said, thank you. Really appreciate you, you obeying us. I appreciate that you, you, you 
you sat down. And his response was this. I'm sitting down on the inside, but I'm uh, outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. There's a difference between just externals and what needs to happen. And I'll just, I'll just say this is true of a lot of Christians. Some of us are just guilty that we just never do genuine introspection and self-evaluation about the condition of our souls. I got a friend who says, when I get together with you, you always ask me the same question. It's like a pastor question. He says, you always ask me, what's the state of your soul? He goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I go, I don't know if I don't know what I'm talking about either. But how's your soul? <laughs> you know what? Let me just ask you, when's the last time anybody genuinely asked you that question? When was the last time you asked that of anybody else? When was the last time you asked it of yourself? Because I could be going through all the right motions. I could be standing up or sitting down on the inside, but I might be standing up on the inside. I'll get it right. One of those, which you figured out. Right? This is what God says in Psalm 51 through David. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's what he's talking about in Psalm 139, a famous one. So search me. God, I'm giving you permission. This is a way to say it. I'm giving you permission to turn the light on on what really is going on in my soul, in my heart, my motives. What's, what's really driving me? Would you search me? Would you know my heart? Would you test me and know my anxious thoughts? And see if there's any offensive way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Take me from there. This is an exercise that Haggai called through, God called through Haggai to his people. Look, don't just build a temple. Don't just go go in compliance. I want you to give careful thought to what's going on in you. Stop and think about it. See what needs to be dealt with in your soul and in your life. And last week I suggested to you that a a dangerous prayer. I'm going to give you another one today. That you would ask God what we just read there. Search me. Would you expose what my real motives are behind what I'm doing? Would you see what needs to be plowed up in my life? If I'm harboring resentments or selfishness, if there are, if there are grudges that are there, if, if, there's a, if there's secret sin, even in my thought life that nobody knows, would you turn the light on? Would you, in your graceful, merciful way, expose it so that you could cleanse me from it? So that what I do with my hands that follows comes from a heart that has been transformed. Can I ask you this? Who, have, who has permission in your life to ask you questions on that level? Who have you granted permission to say, at any time you can come to me and say, I want you to know what's really going on in you. I have a group of friends, and it's one thing to have accountability partners for internet pornography and things like that. There's a group of friends who actually got to, took it to another Degree, and they said, look, we know, these are all guys in ministry. And they, they've heard too many stories about guys who fall. And they said, when we get together at any given time, we're going to give each other permission, not just to say, have you stumbled, not just to say, when was the last time you looked at something, but then to ask this, who other than your wife were you attracted to physically most recently? 
Oh, man, I'm telling you, that's an awkward question, right? Because they know that it happens. But when they know that there's some, the externals may not be there, but something could be going on internally. And confession happens through that. Now, I want to ask you to think, who in your life has ever given you permission to ask introspective questions? What's your motivation about that? I saw something I wasn't so sure about. I thought I heard a tone. What, is there something going on inside you? Who have you given permission to do it with you? If I could give you an assignment this week, ask God who you could give that permission to and grant it to them before they ever ask. They don't even have to be here today. Just say, you know what? You have an important role in my life. I wanted you to help me to put something into practice, to give careful thought to what my motives are in my life. There's always two parts to this. There's introspection and then there's implementation. Don't just go to implementation of what God says before you do the introspection. Let's talk about one more polarity flip. And it comes out of what happens when you heard the, in the story where they, they work on the temple, they look at it and they go, oh my goodness, it's a pile of crap. Well, you know, they, they think of the, what it was supposed to be and they put all this energy and effort into it and the return does not match the investment. They're doing this for God. And now they look at it and they go, boy, there's something wrong. Just, let's just read it again in chapter 2. Um, God says, speak to, this is 2-2, two, two. speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest, and ask them, verse 3, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to, to you like nothing? You notice how bad it looks? He says, but now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And he goes on to say the covenant. Look at verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, and this is no small thing with what they're looking at, in a, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this shack, <laughs> this house, not even calling it a temple. He uses a different word. I will fill it with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater. Look, listen to this. It will be greater than the glory of the former house, Solomon's temple with all the gold and audacious decorations. The glory of what you're looking at is going to exceed what that one was, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the flip. The, we, we flip the, the polarity on our timetable for outcomes. See, all of us have a timetable for which we think God should work, and we expect Him to work, and we hope that He'll work. And, and God wants to flip it. The kingdom principle here is that it's hope and faithfulness now, and results follow. Results eventually you know, you don't need me to tell you this. You and, you and I are so conditioned by a culture for instant results, right? You've got a headache, you take a pill. Why isn't it working in 10 minutes? Boom, 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 come on. We, we want to we see fast investments. We want to go on a diet. We want to lose 10 pounds in two weeks. We wanna have, we, we, and, and it bleeds into our prayer life. We want to pray and we want to see God work. We want to obey and we want to see things get better. 
we are conditioned to expect immediate results. And so when, so if some of us today, well, some of us have done this, where we say to God, okay, all right, you've got my attention, I surrender. I want you to take over this situation. Have you done this about it, something? I want you to take over this situation. I will trust you. I will obey you. I believe that you're going to be in charge of the outcome. Do you accomplish your will? You've got one week. <laughs> a week comes, a week goes, and we're going, it doesn't work. I prayed about it. I tried to make my marriage work. Didn't have any didn't do anything. It didn't accomplish anything. We're so conditioned. But here's something about our God that is maddening and different. And he, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And his timing is not our timing. God is never in a hurry. God does not go fast. And he drives me crazy. I think he, if I obey and I follow him, he should make it happen. Why not? The glory, come on, God. Look, the glory is, your glory is ready to be shown. Just do it. Just, and he goes, eh, eh. You know, days like a thousand years. And what we do is we get frustrated with that. And we either try to fix it ourselves or we give up hope. But here's something about God that we need to understand. When he says he will do something, this whole grand plan he's got, oh, it's going to happen. Make no mistake, it's going to happen. There's something that's absolutely true about God. He will prevail. Philippians 1.6. I'm confident of this, Paul says to the followers of Jesus. I'm confident of this, that he who began... A good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what triplet of truth I get from that? God is good. God is in control. And God will prevail. It shows up everywhere. God's timing is slow, yes. But he will, he will prevail. And he says, and here's the thing, you just be faithful and what I'm going to do through this will exceed what I've even done. The glory that I have in store is going to be accomplished. And in the meantime, he just tells him these couple things. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Do you see what he said to the two leaders? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel. And later on to, and to, to Joshua, be strong, all you people of the land. Be strong, because I am See what he says? I am with you. I am present with you through the journey. This is going somewhere. And here, here's, if you don't hear anything else today, can you hear this about the situation you're in? The story is not over yet. I, know, well, I, know, I don't know you, but I know you well enough to know this. Some of us dragged some terrible weights in with us today. You've got ho a hopeless situation. You've got a pain that you've had to endure for so long. You've got a recurring problem in your own life, an addiction you have tried over and over again. You've got a relationship that we just, you yearn for and you ache over and it's broken, and you're, you just don't see anything happening in it. And I can't tell you without, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. I can't tell you that everything will be resolved the way you picture it, but I can tell you this. There is a good God who is absolutely in control, and he is going to bring glory to himself through that. Your, that story is not over yet. 
Don't act like it is. Don't release hope like it is. There is reason to trust him in that. And so some of us, this is where it comes down to us. You have an unbelieving spouse and you think that person will never come to faith. You have children whose direction is going away that right now it is alarming to you or it's just completely opposite of how you train them for years and years and they seem entrenched in it and you're terrified of where it's going. You've got... You've got an impact that you just can't see made on your family or in your school or in your neighborhood or at your workplace. You've tried everything. You've got a relationship that is broken that seems like it's beyond repair. You've got a ministry dream that you just have invested in so much, and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's languished for years. You don't know what to do. And God says this, be strong. I'm with you. The glory that's yet to come will exceed what has already been seen. Some of the best gifts that the older generation of believers can give to the younger generation is to tell stories. Let me tell you a story about a time I gave up, and let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what he's in the process of doing. Years later, people tell stories. And in, but in the meantime, okay, today, in the meantime, remember these truths. He is with you in the middle of it. He knows exactly what's going on. He is in control of you and your situation. So he says, be strong, which means be faithful. Have hope. And hear God say what he says in verse 6 to you. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and earth. In a little while. Would you hear God say that to you today? In a little while. You will see him do something that he hasn't done yet. You will see him do things that you can't even imagine. There will be a glory that comes out of a life that's surrendered to him that will exceed the glory that it had before. The wonder is seeing how it happens, where it happens. The turns in the road that will just make us fall at his feet and worship him and say, you are amazing. But he will do it. He promised to do it for his people. He promises to do it for all his people. What is it for you that you could release back to him and say, okay, I'll trust. I'll be strong because you're with me. Pray with me. God, a day is coming that we know when the glory that fills your temple will still exceed anything we've seen before. Where your kingdom, the way you envisioned it, will be installed. The prophets kept talking about it and we keep waiting for it and sometimes it seems like it'll never come. But we see the declaration from then, and we want to declare it with them. In a little while, you will shake heaven and earth. And in our individual lives, God, we're tested all the time. Some of us have just been so weary, so tested, and we've, and we've, we've given up hope. We've stumbled. Would you give us just uh, incline our faces to you so that we know that in this room right now, the the one and only God of the universe is looking down with favor on his children and is giving us a reassurance that says, I'm with you. Be strong. And help us to trust that the story isn't done yet. When the story is done, we will turn and we'll say, you exceeded all the glory we could have imagined. In the meantime, God, fill our hearts with hope. Help us trust in you. Help us make choices to say, God, okay, I will live for you first. I will entrench you at the center of my universe. The rest of my world will revolve around it. And find people here, God, through whom you can just pour your grace 
and your joy and your power and your provision as we follow you till it's all done. And we stand and say, holy, holy, holy. Whole earth is filled with your glory. Do that. We pray through your son. Amen.